The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. We are uh, going to do something different this morning, as Dale mentioned. We've never done this before, so we'll see how it works out. We're going to do a, a more of a roundtable discussion. We're just collecting waters up here. I, uh, if, if you have been around before, you know, like, I need a lot of water while I speak, and yesterday I didn't think it was a good idea to be, like, walking up at the wedding with a water bottle in my hand, so I tried to go sans water. It was rough. I had to push through. I was, uh, yeah, I got a little pacey there for a minute, but I, I, we powered through and made it all right. Um, the, they say you're not supposed to talk about uh, religion and politics and race in public, And I think we're going to hit the hat trick, the trifecta this morning before we're all said and done with. So bear with us on that. Um, But it's a, we think it's an important subject. As Dale mentioned, this is Black History Month. So we wanted to pause our series on Corinthians and take a few minutes and talk about uh, race and ethnicity and cultural and our desire to be a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-racial church. Uh, um, When we, when I started out, well actually before I started out, when I was the years thinking about uh, being a part of a church plant, uh, that was something that was important to me that I wanted to see happen. And so uh, whenever I met up with Dale and we started talking about our desires and what we pictured, it was really cool that uh, Dale had a passion for it as well. I think Dale uh, pictures himself as sort of a brother at heart, Armand. Um, Dale gets very proud about his taste in music and some of his history and um, some of the music he used to listen to and, uh, and maybe still does. Um, he, he gets pretty excited about that. So that's why we have him up here. Um, <laughs> so he can interject into that. Um, I, I want to, before we, before we get off to go in the before, if you have your Bible, if you would open to Ephesians chapter two, uh, verse 11, I want to take a look at, um, a scripture that's going to frame our discussion this morning. And um, I'm going to talk for just a couple of minutes. Yes, that is possible. And uh, if you guys are doubting me, and uh, then we're going to see what Dale and Armand have to say. Verse 11 of chapter 2 of Ephesians. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles, so Paul is writing to a church that is, has both uh, there's a majority Gentiles, there's also Jews in this church at Ephesus, and there was a obviously a big cultural and racial division between the Jews and the Gentiles. To, to, because the Jews were God's chosen people, the Jews viewed Gentiles, those who were not God's chosen people, as uh, basically as dogs, as a lower class of, it should have, it should have caused the Hebrews to feel uh, humbled that God would choose them, but over time it began to be something of pride. They began to look down at the cultures and races that surrounded them. And so remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. If you don't know what that is, ask your daddy whenever you leave here. I'm not going to talk about it. Remember that you were at one time, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise. That's what I was just saying. They were outside of God's chosen people, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has has, uh, made us both one, And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So he's saying that that wall that once divided the Jews and the Gentiles that kept them apart, that Christ, by his death, had grafted them in and had torn down that wall and brought them close to himself. And had made two people one, which is what he says... um, Uh, abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So so what we see here, for for one, I can't sit down, I gotta stand up. For what we see here, for for one, is that um, it's not a new thing for ethnicities and races and cultures to consider other ethnicities and races and cultures as inferior, 
That that's something that happened with God's even own chosen people. It's not something that is unique to America, though we have our unique brand. It is something that is universal across humanity because, uh, for lots of reasons, but basically because we are constantly trying to find our identity and value and security in something other than God, on something other than Jesus Christ. And if we can base it upon the ethnicity that I'm a part of, if I can view the ethnicity or the race or the culture that I'm a part of as superior to the people around me, then I can feel better about myself. But he's saying that Jesus Christ provides a pathway to make the two one. Verse 16, it might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. So there's a beautiful picture there of bringing the Jews and the Gentiles, and therefore we can see every ethnicity and every race killing the hostility and bringing them near and making them one body. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So we both needed the word of peace to come to us. We both needed the gospel. For through him, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So the only way that Jew, Gentile, black, white, Puerto Rican, Jamin, the only way that we all have access to the Father is through Jesus Christ. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He's brought us all and making us one household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying is that him taking us from the different cultures, different ethnicities that we are part of through Christ and bringing us into one body makes us together a dwelling place for the presence of God among men. In fact, if you look at, um, if you look at Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, We see that race matters to God, and we see why it matters. Verse verse 9 of chapter 5, and they sing a new song. So this is a song they're singing in heaven, and not just like, like, like the backup worship team, but like the head worship team, the angels and the seraphim and the elders, like all together they're singing this. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. So they're singing to Jesus, and by your blood you ransomed. That means you purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Race matters to God because together we reflect the beauty of God and all its many different aspects. And that even in heaven, if you are, as Dale was talking before, if you are white now, you will be white in heaven. If you are of darker persuasion now, you will be darker persuasion in heaven. It's in fact, it's saying like there'll be different languages and tongues in heaven. Like if you're uncomfortable on the subway in Atlanta or New York, you're probably gonna be uncomfortable in heaven because heaven is not a white Republican convention. <laughs> Heaven is a beautiful mosaic of people from every tribe and nation, tongue, and ethnicity gathered together to worship God. So God is glorified in that he has purchased for himself a people, one people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. Race matters to God. It matters to God because we were all created in his image. Genesis 1, 27, we were created in his image. That was Adam and Eve. We don't know what color they were, by the way. Your little felt board that you played with in Sunday school had them white. We'd, they could have been any color. And we're, we're creating his image, all of us together. When we put us together, it creates a beautiful mosaic picture of what God is like. You ever seen a mosaic up close? That thing looks like a mess, right? Just like a bunch of just random stones or tile pieces put together. But the further you step back, what happens? picture comes into focus and you see the plan of the master artist putting it all together to create a picture out of all the many different pieces and that is the premise 
that we are starting this discussion from, that, that God, that race matters to God, first of all, and so it should matter to us. So Armand and Dale, having said that, why does race, why would you say race matters to God? When I say race, I'm not talking about NASCAR, James. I'm talking about like the different races and ethnicities we are. Had, why, does, why does that matter? And, and, if, and if it does matter to him, why then should it matter to us? Testing. There we go. Y'all were just waiting for a really great answer. Um, you know, I think the, the point you, you point out about the beauty of Christ or, or the beauty of God reflecting in, in multi-colors, um, I think it really goes back to, I'll wait. We tried a new setup and apparently it's not working. Welcome to a church plan. Yes. <laughs> I'll try now. How's that? Is that better? It's bearable. It's bearable. Let me scoot over here. No. So I think going to the fact, if you start in Genesis 1, of man and woman being created in God's image, we, we, we have to start there too. We have to start with the Imago Dei, the reflection that we have as individuals of God himself. Um, and so that's where we see value in people. Um, I mean, that's where, I mean, when we talk about life and we talk about you know, the, the preciousness of, of, of a, an unborn child starts with Imago Dei. It starts with Imago Dei when it talks about the, the different colors that we have and from whatever part of the world you have uh, or from um, is a big part. And so we would, we would hope um, that as a church, that, uh, as Randy said, a mosaic, if, if, if all people are supposed to reflect God's beauty, um, it's our hope that our, our church would be very similar, that it would, would reflect God's beauty because um, of the people um, that God has called uh, to build up Doxa Church. got a dead battery over there, so we'll switch back and forth, maybe. Um, it didn't hit the iPad. You're good. All right. <laughs> Pretend none of this happened. It makes you feel better. I did that in front of my class last week, but <laughs> on top of a keyboard. Oh, nice. Uh, that I then had to act like I didn't do anything wrong, <laughs> as the mouse just went everywhere. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, for you guys who don't know me. We're kind of a big deal. <laughs> Uh, my name is Armand Means. Um, I uh, have been attending DOXA since, uh, I guess, the first service here. Yeah, pre-launch. Um, pre, yeah, pre the initial full-on launch. Um, so the initial preview services here um, at River Oaks. Uh, so after they had already kind of moved into the space from, from meeting in some other locations. Uh, so year and a half now, I guess, just about. Almost two. Almost two years. There you go. Uh, and I am a faculty member at Coastal Carolina University, so I teach in the art department there. Um, so a lot of my relationship um, with this area in general is negotiated through the school, um, and uh, that's kind of how I've known to come to this place. I've only lived here for about four years, so most of what I know is because of that relationship. Um, I guess going back to uh, the idea of just maybe why race is important in general uh, to speak about in the church. Um, I guess from my standpoint, um, just from my own background, uh, race has always been important. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to, to act like it's not um, <laughs> for many reasons. Uh, it was something that was always dealt with in my family. It was always something that was dealt with in the church growing up. Um, maybe not directly, but indirectly it was um, because primarily um, – I went to um, predominantly um, African-American church, um, but went to uh, schools most of the time growing up that were um, completely multiracial, um, and that I went through the public school system all through growing up. 
So I was exposed to a lot of diversity um, at a fairly young age from the very beginning. I started out at a Catholic school and before actually moving into public schools. So that was even a secondary sense of diversity for me. Um, And even at a young age, I realized um, that we were, that not being Catholic, um, even though I was baptized, I was still excluded from communion and things of that sort um, when we would take, when we go to mass. um, And that really bothered me and upset me. Um, I felt like um, even as a first grader um, that people were saying that my faith wasn't as important as someone else's faith. Um, So I started to deal with that very directly as a child. Um, It's continued to be an active part of my life as my mother is a minister. um, And uh, the discussions about race and religion um, have always kind of just been around me. Um, I think also in my own um, past with Christ, um, I've continued to see the scriptural reading, um, Randy pointed out a few things um, already, um, but while race isn't spoken of a lot of times specifically, there's a lot of talk about the difference between Jews and Gentiles, between nations and peoples, um, and the fact that um, the fact that it appears in the scriptures, the fact that it exists, means that it's something that we also have to deal with in the church. Um, you can't separate those two things. We can't pick and choose what it is we want to deal with and don't want to deal with. When we talk about our faith and talk about our church, that means we deal with it as a whole. That means we deal with it as a group, um, and we deal with it as a, as a singular church body. Um, and uh, if it's important enough for Christ to talk about in the Word, then it's important enough for us to deal with directly uh, here within the walls of Doxa. I have a question. So growing up, um, I think, I don't know if it was communicated to me or if it was something I picked up from somewhere, it's this idea that... I don't know if it came from uh, Dr. King's dream speech or if it was just an idea, but it's this idea that we should be colorblind, that that color and race shouldn't even come into the way that, like, I don't even see color when I see you. But yet, I think recently as I've been thinking about it and hearing guys talk, like, that just seems, like, kind of ridiculous. Like, you're sort of, like, almost like you end up ignoring the elephant in the room of the differences between... Um, cultures, the difference between, like, what are your thoughts about that, about, like, should we be colorblind, or, or and if not, like, what does that, what does that look like for us? Can I jump in real quick? Actually, I, I sat down with a co-worker uh, this week, uh, an older black woman that, funny, our relationship, when I first got out of school, she had been working in the pharmacy department, you know, already 15 years. She really mentored me. You know, she, uh, you know, I learned so much. I probably learned the first six months on the job from her than I did in the six years in pharmacy school. And so I sat down with her, and, and that statement was used. And she's an older um, black lady and, and, and using in that statement. And I think the heart to it, sitting down in the talk, is just really going back to the equality statement. That, that That's more of a, you know, we're all equal in God's eyes. The equality statement. But really, I think I've seen a shift of, of what we talked about earlier. Like, God does see color, and it's beautiful. So we shouldn't run from that. But I think... That, that was my uh, pull away from that conversation, the conversations I've had. Um, I guess I would, I would kind of second that. Um, I, think the, I think as a generalized statement, um, the idea of, of being colorblind, um, I think is, is, it is somewhat, I think, facetious, you know, as a statement to make. Um, but I think the, the nature that falls into... Um, the, you don't judge people, you know, you're not judging by the color of their skin. I think that's the, you know, the larger picture of, of that statement, that you're judging by the character of the individual, um, which uh, I don't remember the exact words of the speech either, but I think that was even part of that. When we uh, judge by the color of their skin, with the content of the character. There you go, there you go. Um, I mean, so I think that's right where, where, where that mostly applies. Um, I think that to some degree... Um, I think there is a, a wonderful aspect in um, acknowledging our cultural differences and where, where they're different and where they intersect um, and realizing that even though we are right from very different backgrounds and, and different places and, and things of that sort, that we could all come together uh, and create a, uh, a new space and a new culture um, in which we take the best qualities from all. Uh, and make them uniquely, and bring them together into something unique and, and, and wonderful, which in itself is, I think, um, a way to glorify God. Right? There's a reason that he created us all, which is the way he did. 
So there's a there's a show I used to watch where um, there was a person who was Puerto Rican on it, and every time somebody said, "Oh, what?" At this year, somebody would say they're Puerto Rican, they would say, "Oh, I don't think we could say that." Like almost like white people feel so uncomfortable saying anything about, like we're going to say the wrong term. Like looking at looking at the black. <laughs> yeah, I got a little cut on my, and I'm bleeding all over my hand up here. Um, but by, by the way, I'm sitting at a table with two germaphobes. It, if, if Armand, Dale, and I were trapped in a room with three bottles of water, and I drank out of all three bottles of water, like just as a, to be mean-spirited, they would just die. They, they, instead of drinking for, to, to live, they would, they would just keel over. Um, Good point. <laughs> um, I, feel, I feel like I was going somewhere with that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, just almost like, almost like we just feel uncomfortable making any statement about somebody else's ethnicity or culture, the background, the differences in our skin color. Uh, how are some healthy ways that you think that we can? You're talking about engaging in those cultural differences. What are some healthy ways that we can do that? And how do like? I don't even know like, so that we're. I don't know. I think there's a fear that we're going to cross that line somewhere. I, mean, I don't know if it's, um, I think there's, there's a number of healthy ways to do it. Um, I think we all do it, hopefully, in our own unique ways. Um, I think the, the most important way is, um, is just to treat everybody like you'd want to be treated yourself. I mean, that's, right, the golden rule. Um, I mean, but if I think back to growing up, even though um, uh, I came from a, a, a fairly, like I said, diverse background of, I kind of came up uh, in kind of lower middle class and um, like someone's public schools. I had friends of all of all races, um, and it wasn't strange to me. I didn't think much about it. I played on sports teams, you know, all through growing up. Um, so it was one of those things that um, it was just second nature to to interact and you know uh, gather with people of, of all backgrounds. Uh, to some degree, I think making a non-issue of it um, is the healthiest way to do it, right? And from the very beginning, just learning and experiencing the fact that no matter where it is we come from, no matter what our, 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 our cultural differences are, um, that we're all kind of the same. Um, I do think at a certain point in life, um, things begin to um, rear their head. I think that's just the nature of getting older and becoming part of the world. Um, and at that point, um, having healthy conversations about it, um, I think becomes important and not being afraid to have those conversations. I think there is a fear, I think, of having those conversations, like you said. Um, people think they're going to offend. Um, but the truth is, it's, I at least find it more offensive to feel the awkwardness and not be able to address it um, versus let's just get, let's just talk about the elephant in the room. Um, I personally, um, coming from the background of the arts, it's something that I deal with a lot in my artwork, um, probably in a number of unhealthy ways. I like to make really, really inappropriate racial jokes sometimes <laughs> in my work. Um, but that's, but honestly, it's, it's my way of getting it out in the open um, and kind of taking, like poking, it with the, poking the bear with a stick. But at the same time, I think it's important to, um, to some degree, um, state claim to all the negativity to also say that um, these aren't things that are, that are any longer going to have power over me or who I am or how I define myself, um, nor um, how I relate to other people. Um, I think it's uh, important to address, to address it from as many aspects and, and angles as possible. Um, that way no one feels excluded and no one feels like they can't bring it up. I think it the bottom line for a lot of us in the room sitting around is our relationships and what kind of relationships we have with other people that don't look like us. And as Christ told us to, to love others and, and truly love them and, and to engage in relationships and to get to a level of comfort. You know, to me to have a level with, with my coworker to sit down before this. I mean, with me and Armand, I remember the first day he came in and I was greeting him and he told me his name, and I said, Ron, how you doing? He's like, no, it's Armand. I'm like, oh, okay, this is a little awkward already, you know, but now, you know, like, I love Armand now. You know, like, there's, we, it was that, just even the, 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 the speak that, yeah, that's, he, he looks different than me, 
you know, and what's that? And, and, and realize that there is cultural issues that we bring to the table, but it's to, it's to be celebrated. And once we really, truly get into relationships, and so I, I heard a quote recently, it's like, you know, really think about the last year in your home. When, who sat around your table? Did they all look just like you? You know, and really investing in, in, in relationships. And, and I think about um, in John chapter 4 and the Samaritan woman at the well. I mean, that's, that's Jesus, you know, going to that area on purpose to share the gospel to reach someone that, that, that his boys that are rolling with him, the 12, they're like, what are, what are you doing even talking to her? Must let's take water from her. And so Jesus himself pushing us um, to really share the gospel, to, to befriend and look to really truly develop relationships with those who, who, who do not look like us. And, and really, I would say here at this point, it's also not just like who look like us, but what culture they come from, even from a culture of, you know, uh, there's there's people in this church um, that are good with on a computer, and there's other people that are good with their hands, you know. It's, and and so even musicians, we, when we first launched, we're like, how are we ever going to get anybody that can sing? Because we are far from yes, artists, Dale. Yes, we knew that was where we were lacking if we were going to do any, anything. And now it seems like we can't. There's so many. We got to tell them <laughs> you got to cut the band back. Y'all got like, y'all, you're going to have a whole line, line to line, nothing but a band. Um, and so I think culturally we also um, attract those who are similar to us. And so not even a race issue, but just, you know, the, the things that we enjoy and what we do. And I think it's just we've got to continue to allow the gospel uh, to shape our, our outlook and our relationships that we're seeking uh, to develop. Armand also came back even though we were handshakers and huggers. That was, I don't know, that was, that was probably a hurdle for you to jump over on the way there. Um, so... I guess that leads us to the uncomfortable question of prejudice and racism. Um, America, as I mentioned, we don't have the corner market, uh, we don't have the market cornered on racism and prejudice. We do have a particular brand that is ours. We have a particular history that belongs to us. Um, how how would you guys, and I haven't prepped you for this question, how would you, or any of these questions, how, how do we address, first of all, racism and prejudice in, in our own hearts? If we're going to talk about, hey, how many people have you had in your house and how many friends do you actually have? I think that leads us to the next question. If we don't have people, friends of, the other, of other colors and backgrounds, not just black and white, but all, all colors and all cultures and backgrounds, why is that? Maybe some of that's just not opportunity or intentionality, but maybe some of that is um, a form of maybe racism or prejudice in our hearts. You guys maybe address that. Yeah. Um. It's kind of a big one. That's a big one. Uh, I don't. This is a burger. This is the meat right, right. of the burger right here. Yeah. I mean, I guess in the end, it's it's a matter of realization. I mean, um, unfortunately, that's so often one of those things that you don't realize until it's too late, um, until someone else points it out. <laughs> so it's hard to say that you even notice it in yourself. Um, Again, to go back to my own background, um, I definitely come from uh, a family where it was not it was not rare to make to to have racist jokes made around the house. Um, not like every five minutes or anything. <laughs> but my dad was a factory worker. I mean, various things that that come from factory life, and and then that that was like not strange for me to like be at my grandparents' house and him be telling jokes to his brothers and things of that sort and hear those things. Um, so. Um, while I always thought those things were humorous, um, I never, I was never in a place where I was taught to treat people differently or act differently to people. Um, but as, um, I guess as I grew up, I realized that my circle were, was of people much more like me. I, I found that I was drawn more to people who were much more like me. Um, and... Uh, well, I would never 
look at myself and say I was racist by any means. Um, I think we all have our prejudices, um, and those I think manifest themselves in little ways. It's it's right. We inherently I think draw towards groups of people who are more like us, whether it's culturally, racially, because they have the same musical tastes, where the case may be. Right. I think all those are some type of form of prejudice. Um, the fact that I made fun of country music for a really long time um, <laughs> before I decided it actually wasn't too bad up until it turned into pop music. I guess I'm prejudiced. So uh, <laughs> anything after 1995, I'm done. Um, but uh, I, I think to, to some point, um, I think it's just taken a, a step back. And I don't think it's so much um, realizing race or prejudice in ourself. I think it's realizing just our own flaws in general. I think a lot of that comes through finding your path with Christ. I think when you start to evaluate where you are in life, um, how you can give yourself over uh, to faith, um, I think with that comes soul searching. Um, with that comes some amount of accountability. And I think that's the important thing here is, is just realizing our accountability um, and what that means, whether it means that we purposely decide that we, while I may not be racist, I feel a need to purposely set an example for our kids, for our siblings, whatever the case may be. Um, so it's such an individual, I think, way to deal with it that it's kind of hard to, to say how you can deal with it as a, as a whole. But I think it is a very personal walk, but I think there are so many ways that you can confront it. But I think... Um, Viewing it through the window of faith is, I think, a, a, a real positive way to do that. Yeah, I, th I think it's really important to, from the, even just from the, there's, there's a lot more scriptures. If you're interested in some more scriptures that talk about this issue, I'd be glad to point you to them. But even just from the ones that we read to see that uh, to be um, racist or prejudiced is actually antithetical to the gospel. Yeah, I mean, it is a it is a sin. It is not viewing something the way that God views it, and it's looking down on other people when I myself was someone who needed to be rescued and saved and could not save myself on my own. Second, Armand, I think when it comes to racism and prejudice, and really don't fool yourself that's not in your heart. You know, it's a lot of times we think, oh, well, that's, that's not me. Uh, it's not... Um, even even like our generation, you know, that was an issue in the past. It's not an issue now, but it is an issue. It's an issue in your own heart uh, when it comes to racism and prejudice and, and really fighting that with the gospel and, and soul-searching, as, as Armand said, and, and realizing that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a pride that we have um, that sneaks in um, and to realize we, we have to, to confess that and, and seek God's... Um, uh, forgiveness through that and, and trust the Holy Spirit will push us through that and allow us to have relationships that are genuine. Um, I think, too, uh, when it comes to uh, a white man, I think looking just at the numbers, I feel like, oh, I'm not prejudiced or, or racist or anything because I feel kind of comfortable now because I'm in the majority. When you hear about the statistics and how the landscape of America is changing and my kids, I'm thinking like, wow, when, when, I'm, when, when my group is not... In the majority, how am I going to feel? You know, am I, am I, when the tables turns, how am I going to feel? Like 2040 something? Yeah, 2040 looks like uh, even by 2020, our, our children in schools and schools to age kids, their minority would really not even be a word because, of the, you know, uh, Caucasian whites will not have the, the majority at that point. And so it would be such a blend. But I think, you know, I would point, um, a big point, what do we want to do is just start the conversation today. Like Randy said, pushing each other passages. I'd like to highlight some uh, re uh, resources for you. So one, talking about barriers, um, is John Piper's book, Bloodlines to Bloodline. It's free. If you go to desiringgod.org, you can download that book. It's a free. All his books are free, but that's one specifically he talks about race in it. And, and he would even point you, I listened to something preparing for this. He said, you know, if, if only you have time to read chapter 6, read chapter 6. And it talks about all the barriers uh, when it comes to to racism and prejudice and, and, and one starting with Satan. I mean, Satan would have us divided. 
you know, and really realizing that it's not just us individually, the culture is shaping us, but there's a real uh, enemy against the unity of the Christian church and keeping that divided and then from pride to, to working out of a sense of guilt or it, it just, the list goes on. He does a really good job of just showing you how the gospel is the only thing, our only tool and our only hope to fight um, this issue of, of race and, and discrimination. Any other thoughts on something that we discussed so far? So we, we as a church, the reason we're having, as Dale mentioned, we're having this discussion is uh, we want this to be the first discussion of many that happen. We want to go from here and talk about this in our community groups. There's a lot of people that aren't here. They, can, they come in and join us in the conversation to start the discussion about what does it mean if we really believe that race matters to God and that it's obviously an issue that is, we have our unique brand in America, but it's not unique to America, that we use race and prejudice to divide us, that, it's, that Satan comes in to do that, and that it's a beautiful picture when the church reflects the multicultural uh, family of God in one place. How do we get there? And so we have a couple of, um, this is a really rough draft, um, statements that, um, that I put together that we will be tweaking over the next months or whatever as we, as we have this discussion about racism. We just want to bring you guys into the discussion and we'll, we'll continue it. Uh, but the first point, I think I have it on the slide, is um, this is the rough draft of our multiracial, multiethnic agenda for DOXA. Uh, number one, to become an intentionally ethnically diverse church that not only reflects the diversity of our local culture, but supersedes it in diversity and harmony. So what we're saying is that we want to reflect, in our community, we, we think of the, all the different cultures and ethnicities that are, that are represented, we want to look like that. But then we want to not only just look like that demographically, like if you cut a slice, but we want to, in, to supersede the diversity of the area intentionally as a group supersedes it in diversity and harmony. We believe this glorifies God by showing the incredible unity of the gospel of Christ. You guys have any thoughts about that? I, I just want to make the point that the heart behind that too is not just looking at a crowd that looks blended, but to have that crowd love each other. You know, you can have a, a diverse and a different pockets, you know, in a church, but if there's not love amongst all the brothers and sisters in Christ in there, then it's just a failure. It's just, you know, we've got a, a mixed group of people still in their own pockets. Um, so really the, to, to the background of that, too, and is that to really there would be love amongst those brothers and sisters in Christ. If the, northern, if the Southerners always sit together eating barbecue and fried chicken and the Northerners always sit together eating, I don't know, what do you guys eat, sauerkraut? <laughs> I don't know. I saw a picture of you guys just sitting around eating like bowls of sauerkraut. I don't, is that, <laughs> pizza, well, I like your pizza. I was trying to think of something I don't like, but you guys are sitting around eating, eating New York pizza. We're sitting around eating, uh, you know, barbecue and, and, and we never, never the twins shall meet, then some, something's not working there and vice versa across all the different kind of pictures. <laughs> barbecue pizza. There you go. See, it's all coming together. It's delicious. Uh, I would also want to point out, too, that, that in this conversation, you know, that this doesn't just mean um, racial diversity, but it speaks across the board. And when we really think about the, this place itself, um, it means that right, there are a number of universities in the area. Um, so it means pulling from age groups, um, different walks of life, um, and really just thinking big picture about what that means um, for us as a church and, and how we can tap into all those places. I know that one of the places that I want to be really involved is trying to help bridge the gap between us and Coastal um, Carolina University. Um, but I think right, that's, that's an equal part of that idea of diversity as a whole, right? that it's not just a, um, a small slice that, again, that we get to pick and choose from, but it means that if we're actually going to make that effort, then we make it big picture. So what are some implications if, if we want to be a multiracial, multi-ethnic church? I'm assuming that you guys want to be. Just be on board with me on that because we're going to be. Again, if you're uncomfortable on the subway, I hope you're uncomfortable at Doxa one day. Um, if, if, 
how, how do we do that? What are some implications of that? Because does it just mean that all of a sudden one day there's like lots of people here, different colors and persuasions and backgrounds, uh, but, but, but yet everything else looks the same. How, how do we get there from here? What's our pathway? I mean, to some extent, I think we've already started that. I mean, even if we look at, I mean, I, I think it was you who made the comment about the music already. I mean, um, that that shift that we've seen and the way that we worship, um, I think, even makes a difference. Right? That um, we're attempting to grow, we're attempting to change the things that we do as we continue to grow. Um, I think at some point you guys knew that you wanted. Uh, a worship leader and you know and somebody to direct the music so Jamin coming in was an awesome part to make that happen and I think he's done a great job um, but I think it's also wrong um, I think it's just, it's brought a new flavor to what it is that we do here um, and I think that but I think that but I think that change is um, it can always be a positive and I think it's um, reflective of not just um, who you are, but it's reflective of where you want to go, right? So I think as we continue to to make these tra- these transitions, as new people come in, um, as we think about n- new places that we want to tap into, we actively think about well, what can we do to make those people feel welcome? And I think that's part of what any church should want to do is make everyone feel welcome within its doors. So I think um, starting what we talked about, just coming off our conference of just being steadfast in prayer for that, um, and really committing that to prayer um, for God to, to, to raise up and call people of different colors and backgrounds to Doxa, and, and it be a welcoming place. I was, when I was having the conversation with my coworker, I thought, well, yeah, we're a welcoming place, but that's easy for me to say. And I started thinking, well, if I was going to this Sunday show up in her church, I'd be uncomfortable. And I've been in church you know, most of my life, but I would be uncomfortable. Like, I don't understand who's who in the, here and you know, just the, the structure of it. So I think for us, it's uh, really wanting to communicate well um, and from, you know, people understanding what's going on in the service or uh, just in really, uh, and another prayer that we have is to have somebody really uh, take and have a passion for hospitality on the front end. We know that's a, a poor area. We run around trying to get stuff done, but somebody that can really welcome people and, and right when they get here to make them feel comfortable. And, and into the, the service. So th- that's what I would say some of it would be, um, is prayer and, and welcoming. And then also looking for areas where we serve, where we're on mission, like truly being strategic where we reach out to, you know, making sure that we're not just reaching out to the people we are, we're comfortable with, um, making sure we're making the push and thinking about where we're serving. Yeah, I think, I think a theme of something both of you guys are saying is the idea of comfort and that, I am comfortable in the people who I know and understand. And when I get around people that I don't understand, I'm going to be uncomfortable. And so if we're going to be a church that is a multi-ethnic, multi-racial church, there are going to be times where we're uncomfortable. That means there's going to be times where each of us, all of us are going to sacrifice, hopefully music styles at times, to, in, order to, in order to reflect different ethnicity and cultures and, and backgrounds. It means that maybe some, there might be some times where you're uncomfortable with preaching. Maybe somebody getting up here and wants you guys to be saying amen to them or something. And, you know, and there's going to be times, there's going to be maybe places, somebody's house that you go to in an area of town that you're not used to, you're not comfortable with, and that, that part of what it means to be the body of Christ, reflecting the glory of God, is not that it's easy for us to do that. It means it's, it's hard, and we do it even though it's hard. Because Christ left heaven, came cross-cultural to us to sacrifice his life for us, and now we follow him by doing the same thing. I'll read these last two points, and we'll be wrapping up here. Um, Number two is to boldly and humbly address institutionalized and personal racism and prejudice wherever it is encountered. So there's too much to even really talk about there. There's a whole line I'd like to talk about, but... um, that we want to be able to, as a church and individually, be a people that are, that are identifying and addressing institutionalized and personal racism uh, whenever we encounter that we are a, a voice for Christ in those arenas. And then number three, to become a church that embraces, 
values, and works toward the global plan of God to build a family from every nation, tribe, and tongue on earth. That means that would mean here locally, people of different ethnicities, languages, persuasions, backgrounds, cultures here, but then also we identify that that is, that is a multinational global mission of God to win people for himself from every country, every nation, every people across the face of the earth, and we want to be a part of that in whatever way that we possibly can. So um, again, this is a, just a first discussion of hopefully many. Um, you guys will be talking about this in your C groups this week. Me! Talk about racism and prejudice and it being a multi-ethic, multicultural church uh, as we go forward. Armand and uh, whatever your name is, Dale, do you have any final comments? Um, I, I, I just want to... Um Real quickly say, um, when Randy um, had first contact, talked to me about having this conversation, um, we've kind of talked about it for a while, and then this week it suddenly formulated very quickly. Um, but there are two things that popped in my head. Um, one, I know I'm not going to get it exact, but um, Mark 11, near verse 15, um, there's a story of where Christ... Um, throws the money changers um, out, of the, um, out of the temple um, and makes a statement and something along the lines of um, that my, my house should be a place uh, of worship for people of all nations and all backgrounds. Um, so he very actively and excitedly proclaims that um, no matter where we're from, um, we should all be able to come together um, under the, in, in the house of the Lord that it should be a space for all of us. Um, the second thing, um, I don't remember where I read it, but it was years ago, um, was uh, when I started looking for, um, when I started looking for a church home um, after moving away from home many, many years ago, um, I once read something that said something about no church is ever the perfect fit. Um, it's, up to you to, it's up to you to make the church a, a perfect fit. Um, and I think that's our goal as members of DOXA or wherever it is we may be, um, that we find a place that, that works for us. Um, I spent a lot of time here in Myrtle Beach finding a place that worked for me. Um, it was varying levels of discomfort um, as I would find a church that hugged less um, <laughs> or one where the meet and greet time was much smaller. Um, honestly, that is how I excluded a lot of churches in the area. Um, or figured, okay, if I go 15 minutes late, I'll miss that part of the service, and then I can just go in and get out. Um, and honestly, as someone who grew up in the church, um, Docs is the first place where I've felt like I could make a church home. Um, and when it all started, it was very much a place of people much unlike me. Um, and, I, and I love looking out sometimes. Wait, why does he come back? I don't know. <laughs> and I love looking out now sometimes and seeing more faces of color and various things of that sort. And it makes me excited to think, okay, things are starting to happen. And things are starting to change and grow. Um, but I think it's, uh, it's important that we remember that we have to make DOCSA what we want it to be. Um, and it means that. Um, it should also be a safe space for us to have conversations like this. And if, um, and if you're in a place where you want to have conversations about things, you shouldn't feel like you're going to offend somebody or hurt somebody, um, that we're all part of the same church body. We've all decided to walk this walk together to some extent. Um, and this should be a place where we're all comfortable enough with one another to kind of have those awkward conversations at times but know that... Um, that as fellow Christians, as fellow members uh, of the same body, that um, you won't be judged for that. And I think that's all uh, uh, just a, a positive step towards us becoming what we want to be as a church. That's really good. So, so I take it you don't want to take over hospitality and <laughs> at the beginning. No. We're not putting them on in charge anymore. Oh, <laughs> yeah. um, I'm just excited uh, for us to start this conversation. I know it's it's... It's awkward for us even to be up here in this style and, you know, how this works and rolls. But we, we, we truly feel like uh, it's important enough for us to, to pause a, a normal and what we, we would see as a normal service, just take time to highlight this. And, and I think it goes to, you talked about a little bit, you know, our prayer. And I think we're going to have to 
be prayerfully and look for ways that our leadership is diverse as well. I think that will help with that. Um, and, um, but we're not asking people not to be who God's created them to be, uh, like the comment earlier. I mean, it doesn't mean that you don't, you're no longer the person God's created you, but yes, you are. You don't have to forsake what God is, is what color he's made you or what background you're coming from. Um, but we, we really reach people with the gospel. And, and really highlighting that in, in relationships of, of realizing that that's, that's we're, like as you said earlier, we didn't, we didn't deserve to be saved. God saved us. Um, there wasn't anything special about us. It wasn't, you know, the color I was born or the job I have or how good I am. God saved me just despite all those things, you know. It's for his love for me and just allowing that to propel us as we um, continue to be on mission. That's uh, what Armand said really gets me excited. I, I, I've mentioned before to you guys, we only get one chance to, to build the church, right? I mean, you, no matter how old you, in here, you are in here, you, we have a limited amount of time to be the church. And so whatever God's calling us to do, whatever God's calling the church to look like, this is our shot. You know, if you're part of Doxa and you're part of planting this church, whether you Sign on to plant a church or not, you're part of planting a church. This is our chance to build a church the way that it's called to look like. A church that reflects the glory of God like a beautiful mosaic across all nations, tribes, tongues, and languages. And we get to be a part of that. That's something that's exciting. But we talked a long time. I'm going to pray, and the band's going to come up, and I'm going to go, we're going to head and uh, serve uh, communion to you guys. Uh, I'm going to pray and Dale and I will go over and present it to you guys. Uh, whenever you feel free, come on up and partake of it. Um, and just use this time as, a, as an opportunity to think about uh, how Christ saved you and the mission that he has called to save us for. And maybe if God maybe has kind of touched a, a bit of maybe racism or prejudice, we all have it in our hearts it's to some extent. This is an opportunity for us to repent of it. But also, as I was talking with Charles before the service, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it talks about how we partake of one, just as we partake of one bread, one loaf, we are one body. As we partake of one cup, we're one body. And that we've been brought near by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. So as you take the bread and you dip it in the one cup, think about how Christ has separated, has, has taken away the separation between us and been enabled us to live together in beautiful unity by his blood and by his body being broken for you and I, and that he's, then he takes us in all our brokenness and builds a beautiful church out of it. Father, I thank you for your gospel that uh, tears down the dividing walls between us individually and us as cultures and ethnicities and races. Father, uh, we pray, God, it's, it seems like a long way, this whole church planning process seems like a, a long walk. Um, sometimes we wonder how can we even get to do these things that we feel that you've called us to do. But Father, I pray that you would help us by your grace, by your spirit to become a body that is uh, multi-ethnic and multi-racial in our makeup, multicultural. Father, I pray that you would um, help us, this to be a beginning of a discussion that would happen um, and be a, become a part of who we are as a church, and that you would receive much glory for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.